We open in Scripture this morning to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, and we'll be reading the first 35 verses of the chapter and considering this morning from verse 13 through verse 35. But we'll begin reading at verse 1, Luke chapter 24. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid, and bowed their faces to the earth. They said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. And then the text for the sermon is from here through verse 35. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem of about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which have come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, 
and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. We read this far in the holy and inspired word of God. What a surprising and thrilling day was that first Easter Sunday when Jesus arose. And the scriptures catch all the excitement and all the thrill of that day, all the joy of that day in the recounting these captivating appearances of Jesus Christ. They speak of different settings, a garden, a road, early in the morning, late in the evening, the upper room, later the Sea of Galilee, a mountain. They speak of different people and all their experiences, the women, the disciples, the soldiers, the Jewish leaders, and these accounts uh, convey so much feeling, the grief and the confusion, the fears and the disbelief, as well as the joy and the hope of the disciples. And all those elements are here in this remarkable story that we look at this morning. Boys and girls, listen carefully. You hardly find a story in all the Bible as thrilling as this one. Here are two men. They have sad, heavy hearts. They're walking home from Jerusalem to where they live in Emmaus, about seven miles, about two hours walking. And it's almost as though they're going home from a funeral. Their friend and their Savior has been killed. They don't understand it. And now in their confusion, they're talking about it with one another. You can imagine the lively conversation. And while they are talking and crying, suddenly there with them is a stranger. And he has no idea what they're talking about. And so they tell him all about it. And he very carefully listens and then cheers them up by answering all their questions. And their hearts burn within them as he speaks. And he comes into their house and he sits down to eat with them. And suddenly they recognize him. 
and he's gone. And that was Jesus. Let's consider this morning with Jesus on the Emmaus Road. First, the perplexed travelers. Second, the Savior's sermon. And then third, burning hearts and opened eyes. In verses 13 and 14 here, we're introduced to these two men walking, engaged in a lively conversation. Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. We don't know anything about these two except that one of them is named Cleopas. These are probably people that mingled with the multitudes who followed Jesus, heard his teaching, and they had gone up to Jerusalem this particular weekend to celebrate the Passover, and being disciples of Jesus, they went to hear him teach again. But how differently things had turned out than they expected, how disastrously wrong things had gone. Instead of seeing and hearing Jesus teaching the multitudes, they saw him arrested, they saw him on trial. They heard the multitudes crying, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And they watched him be executed. And that was Friday. You can imagine how they spent Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, with other disciples of Jesus in a stunned grief. And now it's early in the morning on Sunday, the first day of the week, and they have intentions to get home. But now as they're preparing to leave, they start to hear rumors and stories. A group of women have gone to the sepulcher. The stone, they said, was rolled away. They went into the sepulcher. The body of Jesus was missing. And these ladies say, we saw an angel that told us he's risen. Peter and John don't believe it. These things seem like idle tales to them. And so they run to see for themselves, and they come back and say, yes, we, we saw the linen clothes there in the tomb. There's evidence that he was risen. There are more stories that come back, but these men are in a hurry to get home. It seems that as they leave, this is all they've heard. The stories that follow are the stories of Mary Magdalene having seen, having seen Jesus, the other women meeting him on the road. And then the official report of the Sanhedrin and the Romans that his body has, has been stolen away by his disciples. And what these men knew about that, we don't know, but they have to get going home because evening is coming and they want to be home before dark. You see that in their words to Jesus at the end of this, this narrative. And so they set out. And verse 14 tells us that as they went, they talked together of all these things which had happened. What a conversation that must have been. Sad, stunned, grieving, confusing, confused, perplexed. And now these stories. And really their question was, how do we make sense of all this? It didn't make sense to them. And now, while these travelers are, are walking down the road together in this intense conversation with one another, a stranger comes upon them and walks along with them and asks them a question. This is Jesus. Now, to understand this, we have to remember that in his appearances after his resurrection, Jesus 
did not always appear in the same form, but he appeared in a form adapted to his specific purpose in that appearance. So, for example, when he appears to Mary, he says to her, don't touch me, I haven't yet ascended. But when he comes to Thomas, he says to Thomas, my hands and my feet, put your finger in, thrust your fist in my side, touch me. In another appearance, when he comes to the disciples to show that he's really risen, that his physical body rose from the grave, he eats with them. But he also comes as a spirit through closed doors. To Mary, he appears as a gardener. But to the disciples in the upper room as their Lord. And they knew who he was immediately. So here, he appears as a stranger in the Gospel of Mark Chapter 16, verse 12, it says that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked. And here in Luke, it says their eyes were holden so that they should not know him. That is, they didn't recognize him. He didn't look like they expected Jesus to look. And he does that, I said, with a purpose. with a purpose suited to this specific appearance. Jesus, and we'll see this in a minute, doesn't come to these two disciples to prove to them that he's risen from the dead. But he comes instead to talk to them about the necessity of his death. The necessity of the cross. And had they recognized him, the whole conversation would have gone elsewhere. Now he came to speak to them of the cross and his suffering. This was their real question. And so he appears here to them as they walk and are engaged in this lively conversation. He appears to them as this compassionate, naive stranger who's ready to talk to them, to help them with their problem. They don't have an answer. They're so engrossed in their conversation as they walk, that at first they don't even notice him. Perhaps he's following them closely, or maybe he overtakes them. In any case, he hears their conversation, and he asks them a question in verse 17. What manner of communications are these that ye have with one another as ye walk and are sad? Notice those last words, and are sad. Here's the sympathy Of the Savior. What a beautiful sympathy. This is why He's come to them, not to just answer intellectual problems or questions that they have, but to cheer them. And that's the way Christ always comes to us in the gospel. This this question weighs on their souls. It weighs heavy on them. And when Christ comes in the gospel, especially with the resurrection message of the gospel, this is how He comes to us. Just think of the word of the angel to the women. Fear not. Don't be afraid. He's risen. Think of Jesus' own words to his disciples before he goes to the cross. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe in me. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again. Don't be afraid. Don't be sad. And here, as the Savior, as the stranger comes to these two, he comes with Sympathy. What are you talking about? And why are you so sad? What kind of answer would you expect from these men? Well, probably not what we hear from the mouth of Cleopas in verse 18. There's a rebuke here. 
Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things that have come to pass in these days? Where have you been? Where have you been? Haven't you been paying attention? That's really what Cleopas is saying. This is important to me. It's important to so many of us. It was such a momentous event. Surely you should know about it. Haven't you seen the news? And then this sympathetic stranger, instead of being turned off, presses them with another question, which is a further demonstration of his sympathy. What things? He says, what things? And he draws them out. He lets them talk. How helpful that can be. He's a listener just to, to listen, to ask questions. As parents, to let your adolescent children and your young people pour their hearts out to you. What's on your mind? You don't have to have all the solutions immediately. And there's that kind of sympathy here in the Savior and that kind of example here in the Savior. They have these two men, a handful of puzzle pieces that they can't fit together. And he's really saying to me, let me see the puzzle pieces. Maybe I can help you to put them together. What are those pieces? Verse 19, they tell the stranger, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. He was mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Surely you know about him. Jesus of Nazareth, and, and in, the, in these words they, they express all the, all the joy of their experiences of the last few years as they followed the Savior. They saw His mighty works. He was a prophet, mighty indeed. They recall His teaching. He was a prophet, mighty in word. We saw the dead raised, the sick were healed, the poor and the hungry were fed, the wind and the waves obeyed Him. No one spoke with the authority and the clarity that he did. No one understood the Scriptures like he did. And they recount all this. Don't you know? Jesus of Nazareth, mighty in word and deed. And then they say this about him in verse 21. And maybe this is another puzzle piece. We trusted that it should have been he which should have redeemed Israel. We expected that he was the promised Messiah that would deliver Israel. We were sure of that. And perhaps they explained that Jesus himself, the week previous, had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey uh, to, the, to, the, to the words of the multitudes, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the Son of David. And it seemed to us that he was... He was buying into this, that he was the Messiah. And the whole city flocked after him just one week ago. Everything about him told us that he was the Messiah. So he was a mighty prophet. He was sent from God. He did miracles. He taught. And we were sure that he was the anointed of God who would come to deliver Israel. But... And here's the third puzzle piece that doesn't fit. In verse 20, they say, The chief priests and our rulers, our rulers, the rulers of Israel, who we expected he could have redeemed, 
the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to the Romans to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. It doesn't make sense. He could have been the deliverer. He could have saved us from the tyranny of Rome. But our leaders, they wouldn't have him. They were jealous of him. Certainly, he was the anointed of God. But now that plan has been foiled, and he was put to death. And again, just as he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey and seemed to leave the impression that he was the Messiah, so in his trial he he went along with it. We've heard reports that when they came to arrest him in the garden and his disciples tried to defend him with swords, he told them, put your swords away. And he gave his hands to be put in chains. And we know that when he was on trial and all kinds of false accusations came against him, he didn't open his mouth. He gave his back to the smiters. He didn't turn his face from shame and spitting. He seemed to just go along with all this. And they're confused. And then they have one more puzzle piece that they mention here. and they, This is the one that they really don't know what to do with. And uh, That's in verse... Uh, verse 21, the end of the verse, and today is the third day since these things were done. So they're remembering one thing that Jesus said, three days, but they don't remember what he said about those three days. And that's really exactly the, the point earlier in the chapter when the angel appears to the women He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of, the, of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. So there was something in the mind of these two men about the third day, but it wasn't connected in their mind to resurrection. So that these accounts that they heard from the women and from Peter and John that Jesus' body was gone, didn't connect with the third day, and didn't connect in their minds with the promise that Jesus had given of his own resurrection. One thing here, really, they're saying doesn't fit. All these things we've heard, the one thing that doesn't fit is the cross. Why? Why? Did he have to die? They stumble at the cross. They're perplexed at the idea of a suffering Savior. And he listens. He lets them, I'll say, lay out all their puzzle pieces on the table. He listens. And then when he does speak, what a sermon! What does he do? He takes that one puzzle piece that they can't make sense of, the cross and the suffering, and he builds his sermon all around that. 
by turning to the Old Testament Scriptures. This is verses 25 through 27. He said in verse 25, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. When Jesus refers to them here as fools, he doesn't mean that they're like the fool in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 who says there is no God. Rather, he means, as he describes it here, that they are slow of heart to believe. There are some things that have already been presented to them clearly from Scripture. There are some things in the prophets especially that the prophets have spoken concerning the Messiah that they're missing, that they don't see. And that's what he's going to show them now. And so in verse 27, this is the content of his sermon. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. He gave them a comprehensive uh, overview of the Old Testament and its teaching concerning the Messiah and especially concerning the suffering of the Messiah. That's what they missed. What a sermon that must have been. He shows it all to them, not only that the Old Testament Scriptures were about Him and promised Him, but that they foretold His suffering. Verse 27, it says he began with Moses. That doesn't mean he began with the character Moses, but he began with the writings of Moses. The Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This was like the first point of his sermon. Let's go back to the very beginning, he said. The first Adam. And the fall of the first Adam into sin. Something had to be done about that sin. And here God came with a beautiful promise concerning the seed of the woman. And here God came and He slew animals and He gave them coats of skin to cover their shame. And here Adam and Eve taught their children to bring offerings, a lamb. He showed them from Moses. Think of all the other things that He would have showed them from Moses. The shedding of blood and circumcision. Israel in the captivity of Egypt and the Passover lamb whose, whose blood was put on the doorpost as a covering for their sins. All the civil and the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, the priests and the sacrifices and the, the daily sacrifices, the tabernacle, the, the way into the tabernacle and into the presence of God. The scapegoat. And the priest on the day, great day of atonement putting his hands on the head of the scapegoat and speaking unto it the sins of the people. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And would have spoken of all the, the toil and the suffering and the struggles and the warfare of the people of God as they came into possession of the promised land of Canaan. All the blood that was shed to defeat the enemy. The judges, David and Solomon, and their kingdom, their glory, the suffering of God's people, and all of this, as he recounts all of this, showing them, showing them the necessity of the suffering of the Savior. That's the theme of his sermon in verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And to enter into his glory? Or he's saying this, 
The only way for Christ, the Messiah, to enter into his glory, to gain his place of exaltation, is through his suffering. He must suffer. And so he built his sermon around the cross. This is the way he's really saying God always intended it. That sin would come into this world. And that there must be suffering on account of sin. And that there must especially be the suffering of the mediator to bear the curse of sin. And to make payment as a substitute for sin. Sin and its results, the curse, must be dealt with. And the victory of the Messiah is that he overcomes Satan and sin and the world. Ought not Christ to have suffered? He must have spoken of the necessity of a substitutionary atonement. The reasons that they, the reasons that man could not make himself satisfaction for sin. And that God, in his promise, had provided one to take the place of his people. And as they listened, we're told here, their hearts burned within them. What a beautiful description of how faith responds to the gospel. The gospel stirs in the soul, the fire of faith. Their hearts burned within them. They hung on to every word of Jesus. It didn't just make sense to them, but they believed it. This word resonated with something in their souls. They began to understand the necessity for themselves of the suffering and the cross of Jesus Christ. How well this stranger understood the Scriptures. How well he explained to them things that they had never understood. Drawing from Scripture all kinds of things associated with the one who they thought would redeem Israel, the Messiah. And said to them, yes, but here's how. You've missed it. The suffering of Christ in the Psalms. The prophets... And what they had to say about the suffering of the Savior. We can well imagine that Jesus quoted the familiar words of Isaiah that another traveler, the Ethiopian eunuch, had similar trouble understanding. And you can see that. We find that in the book of Acts, chapter 8. Philip is brought by the Holy Spirit to overhear this traveler, the Ethiopian eunuch, reading the scriptures concerning the suffering of Christ. And we read this in Acts 8, verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? And now listen to what Philip did in the pattern of Jesus. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same 
Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And these Emmaus travelers, their hearts burned within them as, as, as Jesus explained from the prophets that Christ must, needs, suffer to enter his glory. He spoke of the glory, the glory of the Messiah, not a national glory as they expected, But he took them back to the fall. He took them back to the great struggle between Satan, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the devil and sin, to show that the Messiah had to come to defeat sin. He brought them through the victories of the Old Testament and that struggle, the victories of the flood, the victory of Israel and its deliverance from Egypt, of David over his enemies. He showed them that these were all all precursors of the great victory that would come when the Messiah came. He showed them the glory that would come through victory over Satan and sin. And they began to understand their own glory and the redemption of Israel. Not as political and earthly, but spiritual and heavenly in deliverance from sin. And they began to see that, yes, the cross, the cross was necessary as the last battle and the victory. And they began to remember some of the words of Jesus the third day. And so Christ expounded to them the Scripture, showed them the unity of Scripture, showed them that the cross at which they stumbled was central to all of Scripture, to who the Messiah was and to why He came. And their hearts burned within them. As they listened, they believed. They saw the necessity. And they saw that not just from a theological or a general point of view, but they began to understand that their own salvation and glory would come through suffering, the suffering of Christ. And then all of a sudden, they're home. Time flies when you're enjoying yourself. Suddenly they're home. How disappointing. They could have continued listening to this man all night long, but now it's late. He is going to go on, but they constrain him, verse 29, that is, they pressure him to stay the night with them, and so he consents, and he comes into their home, and some food is prepared, and they sit at the table together, and verse 30, he sits down to eat with them, and he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he offers it to them. And now a sudden recognition. We know who this is. We've heard this man teach before. We've seen him do this before. We remember the feedings of the multitudes. We've heard about the Last Supper. This is Jesus with us. And you can imagine Cleopas stammering out words, something like, Thomas, my Lord and my God, and reaching across the table 
And as quickly as Jesus appears in the upper room to the disciples, so quickly he vanishes from their presence. They look at one another, and this is when they say, did not our hearts burn within us? There's a sudden realization and recognition. And now we might expect them to be disappointed. Certainly before Jesus went to the cross and told his disciples, I go away, there was this aching pain in their hearts. He's going to leave us. But it's different now. Because now these two understand the fullness of the suffering and the resurrection and the glory and the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are they sad? Now we look at the passage and we see that they're overjoyed the same hour. Their eyes opened. They hurry back to Jerusalem. Late in the evening. And they come to the disciples in the upper room to hear the disciples exclaiming, He's been here. He's risen indeed. And they relate, verse 35, to the disciples what things happened along the way, how He was known of them in breaking of bread. And they, they must have proclaimed to the disciples themselves the wonder and the glory of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's risen indeed. What joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful message. What a marvelous story. So many verses dedicated to it here in Luke 24. And it's my prayer this morning that you as I have been carried along by the wonder of this appearance to Jesus, of Jesus Christ, not to the apostles, not to his closest, but to Cleopas and another unnamed follower of Christ. Well, let's finish this morning with several points of application. First, very simply, this question. Does your heart burn within you as you hear and understand the necessity of the suffering of the Savior? Or we could put that question another way. Do you understand on account of your sin that Christ had to go to Calvary? And then understanding it is your heart warmed with the beautiful truth that when Christ went to the cross, He took your place to pay for your sins, and that's why He had to suffer. So that your sorrow over sin is turned into the joy of these two. you believe? 
And if you do, praise God for that. Praise God that you see and understand the Scriptures as Christ has explained them here. Praise God that you, you see Christ and His suffering as a central theme in all of the Word of God. Praise God that you understand the necessity of the suffering of Jesus Christ as payment for your sins and as the only way for Him to come to His exalted glory as Messiah. Praise God for faith. For opened eyes. I suppose we would all love to have heard this sermon of Jesus, but God's given it to us, hasn't He, in the gospel and in the scriptures. Praise God for the good news of Jesus Christ. Second, there's something here for us about understanding grief, confusion, and suffering in our lives. We, like these disciples, are confused by earthly circumstances, by the pain and the grief that we sometimes have to endure in life. And we, as it were, have a cross to bear and we wonder, why? Why? Why, if Christ has borne the cross, must we bear a cross? Why is that necessary? And the answer is here. Just as the way to glory for Christ is the way of the cross, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? So it is for you and me as disciples of him. Jesus himself told his disciples that in Matthew chapter 16. This is discipleship. To deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow me in the path of suffering. That's the way to glory. Romans 8 puts it this way. If we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together. And so the disciples after this counted it a privilege. And they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. The cross doesn't mean for us, and the victory of Jesus Christ doesn't mean for us, a life of ease. No, it means a life of repentance and sorrow over sin. It means a life of humility. It means a life of humble service as Christ gave himself to serve. It means a life of being wronged. It means a life of forgiving wrongs. It means a life of suffering that works glory. That's the pattern of the Christian life. But then there's a third encouragement here, and it's in the approach of the Savior to these confused, grieving disciples. His sympathy. Are you confused? Are you troubled? Are you grieved? We have a merciful and faithful high priest 
touched with the feeling of our infirmities, willing, able to help in time of need, a sympathetic Savior. And so the psalmist says, pour out your heart before him. Pour out your heart before him. And what's he going to say? Yes, this is the way. The way of suffering to glory. Follow me. Eyes opened. That is, we see the Savior, we understand this is what Scripture is about. He had to suffer. Hearts burning. That is, believing, resting in Him. Joy. The joyful response of these two as they went and told, He's risen. He's risen indeed. That's the good news of the gospel to us this morning. Amen. Father, we're thankful for the victory of our Savior when it looked like despair, when it looked like darkness, when it looked as though Satan and the world had the victory. He was working alone in a way that man could not understand to gain full victory over Satan, sin, and the world, paying the price for sin and casting out the devil. And that's the victory that comes through his suffering so that now in glory he is our Savior, sympathetic, and we walk his path to glory. Give us joy and hope, we pray, in his resurrection that leads us on to our own future glorious resurrection and dwelling with him in glory. Come, Lord Jesus, hear us in mercy for his sake. Amen.